Did you ever think you would make it? I feel I'm so close I could take sweet victory. I know this life meant for me. Yeah, why would you bet on Goliath when we got bet David? Value taming, giving values contagious. This world of entrepreneurs, we get no value to haters. How they run, homie? Look what I become. I'm, the, I'm, the I'm Patrick Bedevi, host of ITM, and today I'm sitting down with Max Wright, and we're talking about coronavirus. Did it help Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, or did it hurt it? Hey Max, thanks for being a guest on Vitamin. Yeah, Patrick, uh, great to be on with you. Big fan. Good to have you on. I, I love when you uh, go into your uh, friendly, heated moments talking about Jamie Dimon or talking about your thoughts on Bitcoin. Uh, you're definitely passionate, and your perspective is... Uh, something to think about. So my first question for you, and knowing the fact that, look, you talk a lot about Bitcoin, you're, uh, you're one of those uh, uh, unique ones that's uh, both pro-Bitcoin and pro-gold and silver. The first question I'd have for you is, did the pandemic make a bigger case for cryptocurrency or did it hurt the argument for cryptocurrency? Well, you're right. I do uh, like both Bitcoin and gold because they are equivalent in, in many ways. Uh, you could argue that Bitcoin is better than gold in many ways. And we've seen gold rally. We've seen Bitcoin rally. The U.S. dollar looks a bit weak in here and uh, because of all the money being printed by the Fed, certainly. But that's true of all central banks around the world. It's a, a race to the bottom to see who can devalue their currency the most. And uh, this is great for hard assets like gold, like Bitcoin. So you're saying the pandemic actually got people thinking more about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency uh, than before? Well, the pandemic triggered massive money printing, and that's good for gold and good for Bitcoin. I think that uh, we're seeing great mobilization of Generation Z and the millennials to, into now investing because they're getting a lot of free cash from the government. And a lot of that money is finding its way into Bitcoin uh, via uh, various apps like Robinhood and other apps like that. Uh, Bitcoin is very native to the millennials and Gen Z. They, they are much, they relate to it a lot easier than they do gold. And uh, so, so all in all, it, it does have a, a positive impact. But the trend is, Patrick, has been very strong for now 11 years. Uh, so that trend is really the primary trend. And uh, the COVID-19 pandemic is just a part of the story this year. Uh, but the fact is that these central banks have got themselves caught in a place where they have to keep printing. Uh, because uh, of, the, of the, the, the money itself is debt-based money. And so to pay the interest on the debt-based money, they have to print more debt-based money. It's a bit of a Ponzi scheme. And uh, so that's, that trend will continue. And so there is now a growing awareness that hard assets like gold and Bitcoin are the place to be. Central banks like Russia, China, and others have been huge buyers of gold. Uh, in anticipation of uh, that point at which fiat money really starts to lose its its ability to function effectively in this economy. And so it benefits both gold and Bitcoin. Um, makes sense. I guess, you know, the, the one thing I'm wondering is, is there a way to uh, 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 get data to see if there are more new uh, believers, new uh, uh, users coming in to buy Bitcoin? Is there a way to measure that? Yeah, sure. You have, for example, uh, Cash App, which is part of Square, which is part of Jack Dorsey's uh, business empire. He has both Twitter and Square. He launched uh, Square, launched Cash App, which allowed purchases of Bitcoin uh, less than a year ago. And now it's the biggest part of that business. They've, they've sold hundreds of millions of dollars worth. And as a revenue generator, it's, I think, the biggest re revenue part of Square's business. Uh, we've seen uh, the users uh, of Bitcoin around the world. I think it's now estimated to be up to 70 million users. And uh, that number is growing. The thing about Bitcoin is that it grows like a messaging app, which is interesting because messaging apps, as you know, from the technology space, they have a period of uh, adoption. And then they hit that hockey stick moment when suddenly it's like, wow, you know, we've got to own this thing. And so Bitcoin, because it takes advantage of the network effect, that is a technology, 
uh, it is a network technology. So you have that point at, at when we get to the ubiquitous Bitcoin uh, use around the world as people realize that, hey, this really is what people say it is. And um, so the, the numbers are growing uh, rapidly. Uh, we haven't yet hit that hockey stick growth moment yet. I think probably we'll see that pretty soon now. You know, every time, uh, you, you know, I'm in the insurance business, we were talking about offline. I've, I've been at the financial for 20 years now. Always when a new instrument comes out, it doesn't matter what it is, you know, whether it was a, you know, uh, 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 CDO or whether it was a, every time there's these new products that come out, right? And you always go to who likes it the most, who loves it the most, who, what audience does that product attract, and then who hates it the most. If you were to say who hates the concept of crypto cryptocurrency, who would you say are the ones that hate the concept of it the most? Well, we know the detractors of Bitcoin right now would be the people who are threatened by it. So the legacy economists like Paul Krugman, Joe Stiglitz, Nouriel Roubini hate it because it challenges their models that they've been familiar with for, for decades. Uh, we know that banks don't like it. At first, Jamie Dimon over at JP Morgan hated it, but now the bank is open to it. He's got relationships now with Gemini in New York, which is a huge Bitcoin player, and others in the space. So JP Morgan has kind of flipped over now to the Bitcoin camp. Uh, you've got big players coming in, like uh, Paul Tudor Jones. He's one of the biggest hedge funds in the world uh, for a long time. I remember I was mm -hmm. following Paul Tudor Jones when I was a stockbroker in the 1980s. That's how I got my start. In 1983, I was uh, started my career as a stockbroker, was a stockbroker for uh, eight years on Wall Street. And Paul Tudor Jones is a huge name. And he came out recently and said that he believes we're going to see a lot more inflation now because of all this money printing. He's, he wants to bet on gold, but he also has a big bet on Bitcoin because he says it's the fastest horse in the race. Uh, the theory being that if Bitcoin's market capitalization can start to approach that of gold, uh, which now gold is at eight trillion, Bitcoin's at 160 billion. So for every dollar moving gold up, you would see 25 to 30 dollars appreciation of Bitcoin. That's what he means when he says it's the fastest horse in the race. Uh, so the, the those are the people that like it. Uh, a lot of people started hating it. Now they like it. There was a big community in the Austrian uh, school of economics that at first were not open to Bitcoin, gold bugs, hardcore gold bugs were not open to Bitcoin. But every day, more of those people switch over, they join the camp, they understand Bitcoin better, and they kind of join in and uh, appreciate it. Obviously, one of the most famous, I guess, uh, well-known Bitcoin bashers would be Peter Schiff. You know, he's been, you know, bashing Bitcoin for, for a long time. I've debated him on it a few times. Um, you know, I, I call him a, a, the a Bitcoin pinata because, uh, you know, you can beat P Peter Schiff with the Bitcoin stick all day long and it just keeps giving more candy, right? Because his arguments never hold up. Uh, the coin, when I first told Peter Schiff about B Bitcoin, it was $10. Right now it's, uh, you know, $9,000. He's been wrong now for almost 10 years and he'll be wrong for the next 10 years, the next 20 years, the next 30 years. So he's a lot of fun. Uh, we like to uh, like to watch him flail about, uh, you know. But uh, I think ultimately he will he will switch over probably because the market the market is telling us something, Patrick. As you know, market signals are very strong. You're in the insurance business. You're in the finance business. Market signals are extremely strong ways of communicating market reality. Right? The price signal tells us what's really going on. And the price signal in Bitcoin is telling us that it's winning against all the naysayers. It's gaining market share. It is equivalent to gold. And it's winning over huge legions of fans around the world as the fiat money system is in dire straits. So the timing is perfect. So, so that's interesting you're saying that with the, with the folks that don't like it the most. Because, again, that gives you perspective on why there would be some pushback from certain areas. But then the other side is also... You know, who, who has really created this? And I know when I'm saying who's really created this, we can talk about Satoshi and all these other names. I'm not talking about that part. I'm talking about is this, you know, is, is Bitcoin cryptocurrency feeding the eye or the antithesis, antithesis of the eye, meaning 
is is somebody saying, hey, all of you guys, let, let all these guys go at it. Let them just figure it out. Let them put it all together. Let them figure out all the mistakes. Let guys screw the whole thing up. And then five years, 10 years later, you know, the world government, the governments come over and take over and they centralize them. They say, listen, guys, thank you so much for all your help. But now we're going to take it over. So who who is the who is is it really the people doing it, or are there some people more powerful than you and I that are behind this? Right. So a couple of things there. First of all, the idea of taking over Bitcoin is you have to kind of dig into that and, and understand what 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 those words are implying. So to take over, uh, we'll get to that in a second. But let's let's go back um, to kind of in a broader context here. So the who who created it, you know, and why did they create it? The history of Bitcoin before the 2009 uh, beginning of it, January 3rd of 2009, there's a 20-year history behind it of the what are called the cypherpunks. And these are uh, developers, programmers, hackers who were always trying to figure out what we call digital scarcity. And I myself have a patent uh, on digital scarcity, U.S. patent 5950176. It's the virtual specialist technology uh, that is a patent that covers uh, digital scarcity as well as it's the first commercial prediction market. So the prediction market industry was pretty much, I invented that in 1996. And um, digital scarcity is this idea that can you create um, assets digitally that are scarce uh, in a world of the internet where everything is basically easily to replicate. You know, what we know about the internet is that every, it's very easy to copy things. That's what makes the internet the internet. You can send emails to 10,000 people at a click of a mouse because it's easy mm -hmm. to copy everything. Yeah. Then you create um, scarcity, digital scarcity. And um, so I know from experience from my patent and my work at the Hollywood Stock Exchange, which I created in 1996, we eventually sold that to Cantor Fitzgerald in 2001. But um, I know from my work in this, in this space, um, the, limit, the difficulty it was to come up with a decentralized digital scarcity, which is what Bitcoin accomplishes. Uh, unlike every other attempt is a centralized uh, digital scarcity, and that's not the same thing. Um, so that's, that's the first point. The second point uh, in terms of uh, can it be taken over, the... The fact is that the Bitcoin network runs at 120 quintillion calculations per second right now. Uh, to give you an idea of how big a number that is, if you were to add up every grain of sand on every beach in the world, it's about seven quintillion. So Bitcoin's running at 120 quintillion calculations per second. It's the biggest distributed computer network ever in history. And the cost of taking it over is beyond the reach of any government. Um, and it's beyond the reach of any group of governments. There is no entity or group of entities that have the computer power or the money to attack Bitcoin in any meaningful way, uh, which makes it uh, indestructible, immutable, uncensorable, and unconfiscatable as well, which is an attribute that a lot of people are waking up to because it's not the same with gold. Gold is not unconfiscatable, and certainly fiat money is not unconfiscatable Either. So there is no attack vector coming from a government. There's no attack vector coming from a group of governments. And um, I uh, would say that I don't see any attack vector coming from anywhere at this point. Bitcoin is uh, on a journey to a much higher prices and changing the global economy in a, in a profound way that we're all kind of waking up to right now. Now, you've been in the world of finance for a while, so you know the word money laundering. How easy is it to launder money through uh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and blockchain? Money laundering and criminal activity through Bitcoin is uh, about the worst way you could launder money because the blockchain, it's open source and transparent. So people who have tried to do criminal activities with Bitcoin get caught a lot easier. With fiat money, there is no provenance. You have no idea where it's coming from. Gold also, it's fungible in that way. You have nowhere where it's coming from. Uh, the actual statistic on criminal behavior with Bitcoin is estimated by authorities to be uh, less than 1% of all financial crime involves Bitcoin. Less than 1%. 
So, so you know, you I, I've interviewed a lot of mobsters. I've interviewed a lot of uh, folks who have uh, been. But in- let me just jump in for a second, if I may. I don't mean to uh, interrupt you there, Patrick. But when you talk about financial criminality and the size of financial criminality, let's remember that a bank like J.P. Morgan and Jamie Dimon have paid hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars mm-hmm. in fines for their financial fraud and their financial criminality, and the. Uh, the, the number of frauds and criminal acts by banks that were settled civilly with fines, if you were to add that up, uh, you, you know, you would be aghast. And, and you'd have, it is, it's almost as if the business model for Wall Street banks is to keep 90 cents of every dollar they steal, and then they pay 10 cents on a fine. I mean, that's where the, that's where the frauds so and that's the crimes are taking model. place. That's, that's their model. model. Yeah, that's their model. model. Yeah. That's right. Their, their business they, model they, is fraud. Some of them even call that that's marketing dollars, if you want to call it. But I'm not asking the question of money laundering from a point of trying to corner you or the industry of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. I'm, I'm asking it from the standpoint of, you know, when things eventually get centralized and you get people that want to come and take over, they find an in, right? They, they look at an angle and they say, this is how we're going to come in. So you don't, you don't worry that the, the, the blockchain world is going to attract uh, more criminal activity and they're going to come through and try to figure out a way to launder money. You don't worry about that? Just to be clear, there is no centralization of Bitcoin and there is no ability to centralize and there's no ability to centralize Bitcoin. It's a, it's a, it's a mathematical impossibility. It's like saying you're going to stop the sun from rising in the East tomorrow by stamping on the ground and and crying, right? It's not going to happen. Can you unpack that? Unpacked because the system. because the protocol of Bitcoin is this brilliantly balanced protocol of uh, what's called a consensus algorithm, and that all elements of it are balanced in basically what you could boil down to being game theory. There's there, the incentive for everyone involved in the network is to let everyone else involved in the network uh, balance their incentives in such a way as to resist censorship. Because if there was a censorship. Um, uh, involved, then the value of the coins at 150, 60, 70 billion dollars would would be threatened. So it's there's a game theory that's baked into the Bitcoin protocol that resists any attempt to centralize it. And you know, if there was any ability to centralize it or or have influence on it in a meaningful way, we we would have seen by now. After 11 years, since it does threaten all central banks and it does threaten all fiat money, we would have seen some success or hint of any success in that direction. But so far, we've seen absolutely none because for the reasons I outlined, the cost is too high. Nobody has the money to to centralize it. And uh, nobody has the computer power to centralize it. And certainly not a group of two-bit mobsters. They do not have the ability to centralize it. Uh, if you want to take a bunch of Wall Street banks and European banks, they don't have the money or the, or the capital. And no government has the money or the capital. It's, this is decentralized digital scarcity built on a protocol that was birthed in 2009 and has now been established as creating absolute scarcity, which is something not even gold can claim. You know, gold is not absolutely scarce. Gold is relatively scarce, but it's not absolutely scarce. So you have a store of value, a store of wealth distributed, uh, demonstrating absolute scarcity that you can use as a store of value, as money available to everyone on the planet. That's why, you know, you're getting a lot of pushback from governments, you know, because they realize that this is a direct threat to the central bank model of centralized fiat money printing. But just to be clear, the the point is that the way the technology is constructed, let me put it this way. The internet runs on the TCP IP protocol and it's completely distributed. And it would, it, it would be extremely difficult bordering on nearly impossible for one entity to centralize the internet. The internet, the virtue of the internet is that it's distributed. That's what makes it the internet. If you start to balkanize or to centralize the internet, so all parties attached to the internet mm-hmm. have an interest in keeping the internet decentralized. If it, that's why it works. The same thing with Bitcoin. Everyone in, invested or part of the internet protocol, which is this distributed protocol like the TCP IP internet protocol, 
they it's uh, it's it, it 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 fosters decentralization. That's the definition of what it what it's all about. And so it it resists centralization, and uh, therefore we 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 I don't put that as a, uh, a an attack vector or a threat in any meaningful way. Well, let me let me take a different angle then. Uh, uh, let's play a game of devil's advocate. You, you're familiar with Frank Abingale, right? Yeah. You, you've seen the movie Catch Me If You Can. Right. So say the government comes and hires Max Kaiser. They give you open check, you know, give it a $100 million check. They say, hey, Max, we need your help. This crypto thing is getting a little too big and we need to take control of it. We need to figure out a way to regulate it. What is the angle to take to get in there and regulate it and take control of it? Well, you know, like the Austin Powers movie, uh, you know, I'll put my pinky in my mouth and say, oh, $100 million, right? Um, the the Bitcoin network is are you, are you saying hundred million hundred million is not enough? Let's just say the government gave you a billion dollars. Well, what, what I'm saying is that they, no government has has the budget for this. They don't have it. There's no government has a budget for it. Now, let me explain how this works a little bit more. So, let's say the budget was a hundred trillion dollars, right? Which is which is which is the, the global GDP is about seventy trillion dollars, and the stock market's worth roughly thirty trillion. Corporate bond market, let's call it ten trillion. Okay. So let's go big. Let's say let's say you're going to give me a hundred trillion dollars to go after the uh, Bitcoin protocol and Bitcoin. Well, this is what happens. Um, the, the 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 protocol sniffs out that there's a hundred trillion dollar player that's now attempting to stage a takeover and centralization of the protocol. So two things happen. Number one, the calculations per second number starts to skyrocket because the only way to uh, have any impact on this protocol is by actually mining, you know, by actually creating or doing what's called a 51% attack on the chain. So that means you're adding, you go from 120 quintillion calculations a second to two, three, 400 quintillion calculations per second. So that means that the price, which uh, follows the hash rate or the calculation rate, would go from the current uh, value of approximately 9,000 per Bitcoin, it'd go to 200,000, 300,000, $400,000 per Bitcoin, um, you know, heading to a million dollars a Bitcoin. So the more you attack it, the, the higher the price goes and the more expensive it is to attack it. That's one of the genius elements of the protocol. It actually invites people to attack it. The way that the, the network stays secure and the reason the price keeps going up is because every month or two months, somebody shows up and says, I'm going to attack the Bitcoin network. I'm going to, I'm going to be a player. I'm going to attempt to centralize it. And of course, that's exactly what it wants. Uh, it attracts that kind of... Uh, uh, interest and um, that increases the calculations per second, which increases the security, which increases the price. And that price means it's drawing from the fiat world. More people are saying, wait a minute, why do I even own fiat money when I can be owning this Bitcoin and it's going up a lot? Why do I even own gold when I could be owning Bitcoin and it keeps going, uh, going up a lot? So, you know, have at it, throw it, throw a hundred trillion dollars at it, you know, do it. You know, I, I want to see Bitcoin go to a million dollars. So, you know, come at me, bro. So you're saying there's no way, even if they get, even if they hired the best person that knows everything about the game, even if they hired, you know, uh, uh, Craig Wright, they brought anybody and you're saying there's no way in the world to stop the momentum being created in crypto or, or blockchain. Correct. It's, um, it, it's, it's no way it's, it's a, uh, First of all, you mentioned Craig Wright there. Craig Wright is a known fraud, so we should make that clear. So we shouldn't mention him in any context of a serious conversation. But um, the 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 point is, the bottom line is that's that is what I'm saying. That it's beyond the reach of any centralized group, authority, or assemblage of money or technology to stop Bitcoin. It it is now. A runaway freight train. It is basically the way the protocol works in a lot of ways, Patrick, is that it has an insatiable need for energy because all that calculations, calculative uh, power needs energy. 
And Bitcoin is becoming the biggest energy user in the, in the world. It will soon be the single greatest use case for energy, all energy, in the world. Uh, because uh, I'll, give you, I'll give you another interesting story that's developing. Because I know your background. I know you're Iranian. Um, it's interesting that Iran is now mining Bitcoin. And because they see that they do not want to expose themselves to the U.S. dollar, they want to escape the U.S. dollar, and the, the way that the U.S. dollar is used politically by censoring the SWIFT dollar mechanism, et cetera. You know, Iran's been uh, sanctioned, and they do so using the dollar. So uh, Iran was, uh, has been, been pretty, you know, hip to the idea that, you know what, we can actually escape the U.S. dollar hegemony around the world by um, starting to get into this Bitcoin. So now what this will do is naturally other countries like the U.S. or the U.K. will look at that and say, wait a minute, do we want Iran to potentially be the richest country in the world because they would have the biggest Bitcoin position in the world? Uh, no, we don't want that. So now we're going to get into the Bitcoin mining. It'll be like uh, when Russia launched the um, Sputnik satellite. Uh, in the early 60s, it launched the space race, right? America said, we can't let Russia, you know, win the space race. So then they put all their money into space exploration. And we know the story there. So now that Iran has tipped their hand and said, we're getting into Bitcoin, which is the hardest money ever known in the universe. And we could potentially have the hardest money on planet Earth and potentially be the richest country on planet Earth. These other countries will say, wait a minute. No, we're going to get into the game. So they're going to devote all of, you know, energy, uh, budgeting and capital to Bitcoin mining and what's what I would call a hash war or a Bitcoin mining war, which I think is that what we're going to see in the next 12 to 24 months is countries competing with each other to uh, accumulate as much Bitcoin as possible. And then that will drive, again, the hash rate or the calculation per second rate higher, which will drive the price higher. So you get that price will constantly be going higher. Um, so... Um, I think that is what more likely outcome than, than the outcome or the idea that somebody is going to decide that they're going to try to control Bitcoin. That, that's a losing bet. That's a 100% losing bet. So let me ask you, why uh, did you make the comments you made about Craig Wright? I know in the past he's claimed that he's Satoshi and he's the one that owns the Genesis block. And, you know, I don't know whether he lost the private queue or not. Why did you say what you said about Craig Wright? It's well documented now, uh, very well in numerous sources that his claims are bogus. And um, he also is behind a competitor to Bitcoin, or he's part of a competitor to Bitcoin called uh, Bitcoin Satoshi Vision, which is uh, an outright the fraud as well. Uh, and pretty much uh, he's been called out numerous times. Um, he's launched several lawsuits that, that are all either lost or in the process of losing. And um, there, he has no basis whatsoever to make those claims. He's been, it's been shown that the claims are baseless. And the way he thinks and the way he talks and the way he conducts himself is, would be kind of if you're trying to create a character of somebody who knows nothing about Bitcoin – who is the antithesis of the character and the vision behind it. It would be someone like Craig Wright, who's, he's a fool. I mean, the people in the Bitcoin community think of Craig Wright as a fool, basically as a fool. He has no credibility whatsoever in the Bitcoin space. He's, he's, he's absolutely laughed at. And in a year or two from now, we, you won't hear the name will be forgotten forever. Who, who else has claimed that there's Satoshi outside of him? Nobody. Nobody's ever claimed. That's right. Interesting. Uh, do you have any idea yourself? Is there anybody in the community when you talk to you say, you know, you, you kind of have an idea how this whole thing, uh, who, who it was or no? It's still something that's unknown. It's unknown. And it's better that it's unknown. Tell me why. Be because if you have a known person attached to it, they become an attack vector. And people will, will, will attack that person. And they, and so you don't want that. You want, you know, who invented gold? You know? This is different though. They're, they're, it, gold is different than, uh, than Bitcoin though, than cryptocurrency though. Well, how so? How, how, who, how is gold created? Through what? 
What creates through COVID? through the uh, you know creation of thirteen point eight billion years ago the Big Bang and the universe was started and that's right. elements so collapsed and stars exploded. Yeah, that's the point. It's not man-made. You know, gold is not man-made. Bitcoin is. Crypto is man-made. It's slightly different, you know. It's yeah, a, I, I would argue that um, the inspiration from for Bitcoin is divine, and that it reflects uh, inner, it, 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 it reflects an inner divine nature of humans. So it is similar to gold in that way. If you believe that God created everything, including gold, then you would also believe that God created Bitcoin. So you think God created Bitcoin? Now, now we're do you think God? Do you think God created gold? I don't think man created gold. Well, do you think God created man? That that is the agnostic position. Let's just say there is a creator, and okay. God created. So, man. so and everything in creation goes back to the creator. That would include but, but everything. God, I can't say God created a car. A man. Okay, but the reason car. I say that, the reason I say that is to make that position is because the. I realize that it's a it's an interesting position, but it's also you have the effects that Bitcoin are having on the world are quite interesting, and in that is bringing about a realignment of the way people think about themselves and about their economies and about their communities. Uh, because, for example, Bitcoin encourages people to save money, which is different than encouraging people to spend money. Mm -hmm. It's like when you know you have. Um, I'm sure that as part of what you are doing over there at your company and you talk to your employees and things like that, you know, one of the ideas you want to get folks to understand is to not go too far into debt, don't overconsume, be self-sovereign, be your own person, yep. Yep. Be, have inner strength and morals and values. And then those values are carried over into your work and your family and your community. And so, you know, you can't do that with fiat money because fiat money is inherently debt-based money. And the more you they issue, the worse the economy gets. And it's extremely uh, a, a poor system. Whereas gold, you know, people who who buy gold and store gold, they have a kind of a different attitude toward I agree. savings. Okay, yeah. so Bitcoin, Bitcoin well, is a savings technology. There. Bitcoin yeah. is a savings technology that changes people in profound ways. They think differently about their communities, about themselves. It has a very positive effect. It's, a, it's passive resistance. You're opting out of the fiat money system, and you're now saving Bitcoin. It's like you would save gold. And you look at the millennials and the Gen Z, and they're like, you know, this is actually a, in, a, in a world with leaders are corrupt and mentors are not available and the, our uh, business establishment is run by people of dodgy character. You know, I'm, I'm finding my, my uh, inner kind of strength by saving and achieving individual sovereignty, and yeah. uh, I'm doing it through Bitcoin. So that's why I say it has a, a celestial or divine quality about it, because it makes people, um, it raises people's consciousness and raises their character. And that's an important thing that for folks to understand and to, it's part of the process of maturing right you know you have to you have to take responsibility for yourself now you know i know you say that you, you've said you've never sold a bitcoin before everything you've bought you've kept right now that's not everybody though you know the the marketplace of bitcoin and crypto has had the reputation of also attracting some dodgy people too i mean you can see a lot of different uh, series and documentaries and 60 minutes on it but going back to Satoshi, just out of curiosity, you don't well, have let me, to. Let me comment on that. So you drop well, that. I'll, I'll, and let me I'll, comment I'll, on it. You I'll, say, you know, you have the, first of all, there, there's Bitcoin and then there's the crypto market. Crypt, no crypto is, is Bitcoin. There's Bitcoin and then there's 5,000 other failed attempts to compete with Bitcoin. There's like, there's gold, and then there's pyrite. There's fake gold, right? There's attempts to be gold. Bitcoin is, there's only Bitcoin. There is no actual crypto industry. It's only Bitcoin. That's the industry. Um, and then everything else is junk and should, it's not serious in any way. Um, so I just wanted to make that point. So, so do you have any speculations yourself of who you think Satoshi is or not at all? You don't put any uh, thought or energy into it. Well, I know the people that were involved in the cypherpunk movement who contributed different parts to it, right? For example, in the white paper, uh, Dr. Adam Back has mentioned he is a cryptographer and he has been active in developing the some of the elements that went into the ultimate 
uh, protocol, the ultimate creation. So he's a big part of it. Hal Finney is somebody who was a big part of it. He talked, you know, there's some great chats that have gone on in, in chat rooms before the launch. And Hal Finney, he's no longer with us anymore. He died, sadly. Um, and there's three or four other people that you could say are part of direct, you know, directly part of it. Um, I think, you know, my view <laughs> is that, you know, Patrick, in, in industry, in, in business, a lot of times you have like an industrial accident, like the creation of microwaves or penicillin or nylon mm -hmm. or, you know, these things that come along that they, or Viagra was supposed to be hypertension medicine. You know, that's not the market for Viagra today, right? Of course. So, uh, you know, Bitcoin was, the purpose of Bitcoin was to solve what's called a double spend problem or to create digital scarcity is another way to put it. And it's a very specific um, objective. And uh, I, don't, I don't think that people really, that ultimately when it, when it was appeared, I don't think necessarily they realized that this was a, like a, the Godzilla of money, really, that it was going to challenge the global economy the way that it is, right? It's a bit of a half of it was engineered, half of it I think it was just accident. That's it's just, it's just, a, it's, yeah, it's just a brilliantly engineered, brilliantly yeah. incentivized uh, protocol that solves a very specific problem, but in so doing has changed the world. Wow. And I don't think that was yeah. the intention, really. I think the intention was just to solve a very specific engineering problem. And like many industrial accidents of the past, it changed the world. You know, something is the, the creation of plastic was an accident. And yet imagine our world today without plastic. So in, in essence, it's an accidental currency is what you're saying. It, yeah, it's an accidental money. You know, it's a currency. anything money. can be currency, but yeah. only if the money, only money can be money. So, so let me ask you this. Let's transition to a complete different side. And then I want to kind of get your thoughts on the current times. Trump, Trump has publicly not been a fan of uh, 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 Bitcoin. Is, is that a fair assessment with uh, Trump where he stands with that? Sure. Okay. So... Now, Trump has also got a method of the way he negotiates. He's a, he's a power player. He's somebody that will freeze assets. He'll somebody that will put tariffs. He'll somebody that push people around. He'll somebody that, you know, will play every single power play in the book of power plays, right? If he gets reelected and he wants to go through his power plays uh, and somebody can use through Bitcoin to transfer money and there's not an ability to freeze assets, do you think a Trump getting reelected, is that a good thing or a bad thing for the cryptocurrency world, or is it irrelevant? It's irrelevant in a lot of ways because no government, as we've talked about, has the power to stop Bitcoin or, or any group of governments. You know, the question is, we, comes up, well, what if governments, you know, outlaw Bitcoin? What happens then? Uh, nothing. Because... Um, the, the, the Bitcoin is unconfiscatable for one thing. It's, it's, um, it, it, it's uncensorable and um, it's um, not going to be, it, it, plus all these government regulators and politicians are paid in fiat money, right? So, you know, every revolution, what happens is the regulators and government officials end up becoming a fifth column, you know, during the revolution because they, they kind of sell out the revolution inside. Um, and you, you're going to see that with any, any governments that try to go after Bitcoin. There's going to be plenty of people in that government who are going to be buying Bitcoin because um, they're being paid in fiat money and the fiat money is collapsing. You know, it's the story of the Roman Empire, right? They try to pay their soldiers in ever diminishing amounts of silver until the soldiers started, you know, working with the vandals and the, and, and the barbarians. Uh, this is the same, going to be the same story because Bitcoin's hard money and fiat money is not hard money. Uh, so that, that's just not a threat. It's not an attack vector. It's not a threat vector. Um, and um, plus, we had now have plenty of Bitcoin billionaires and multi-billionaires who have tremendous lobbying influence in Washington. Such as? And, well, either direct billionaires or, or associated or affiliated with billionaires. So uh, Peter Thiel, for example, is uh, a billionaire. He's part of the PayPal mob, as they uh, call yeah, it. Mafia. Um, you know, and, and so uh, he's got tremendous influence 
Uh, at least I know he did a couple of years ago. Uh, I, st I believe he still does. Then you have just a lot of other folks in that circle that have, you know, billions of dollars and they have the ability to uh, change laws. You know, America is kind of uh, one of the cheapest countries in the world in terms of graft. You can get a law changed in America for a hundred thousand bucks. You know, it's, it, I wish our senators were more corrupt and that, that it would cost more to change laws or, or to create new laws, to tell you the truth. But, but they seem to be open to pretty nickel and diming. You, you can get a law changed in a heartbeat. This is why, you know, the, fi the financial sector, they overturned every single regulation since 1933, 1934, the Securities Act. You know well because you took a Series 7 exam. Mm -hmm. So you know those, uh, those laws. Every single thing in the Securities Law Act of 33 and 34 has been overturned by lobbyists from Wall Street in Washington. So now none of those protections exist anymore. And uh, we have the situation that we have now, that they just try to meet every single problem by printing money. The money's being debased. Uh, it's backed by nothing, or as Paul Krugman of the New York Times says, the U.S. dollar is backed by men with guns. Okay, great. Well, if you can't pay the men with guns anymore, what happens to your currency? It goes, you know, hyperinflationary collapse to zero. Um, so, um, you know, this is, this is the sad state of affairs. Uh, that uh, fiat money is not going to breed uh, a solid political economic class representing solid values that people are going to look up to. No, it's disintegrating before our eyes, Patrick. It's disintegrating before our eyes. And I cannot believe the fact that people are okay with us constantly printing money, by the way. It's just pathetic to me that it just keeps happening over and over and over again. We keep talking about how quantitative easing is not the way to go, but we keep doing it. Uh, over and over again the last whatever 15 20 years. Let me ask you a question. You yeah. you're in the insurance business Okay, mm -hmm. it's all works on spreads. Sure. What if they go to negative interest rates? What happens to your industry? You already know what happens to many insurance carriers many insurance carriers cannot be accepting more business if they go that route uh, Okay, well, you know, why are they doing negative rates because they're bailing out corrupt banks? No so, one's disputing that. I, it's pathetic. It, right. So why? Yeah. So so I'm saying Bitcoin is is, you know, get your fifty thousand agents to start selling Bitcoin. Do, do your do customers you, a favor. Turn it you, around. Let's turn it around, Patrick. I'm going to make you a billion dollars. I've got two ways to make you a billion dollars. Number one, put Bitcoin into the mix of products your agents are selling. Number one. Number two, I've got an idea for an insurance product that'll make you a billion dollars. And I hope you remember me by giving me a commission when you cash that billion dollar check. <laughs> so, so let me ask you, if, if we know what direction fiat's going and you have really, you know, a couple different choices, right? Let's go back to gold standard, hypothetically. Okay, to go to go back to gold standard, it's going to be pretty ugly. Uh, you're going to have to get a lot of people to buy in. A country could do it, but other countries don't buy in. It's just a technical move to make to get the world to be comfortable with it. And then again, when America needs money, when we have to go off a of gold standard. So what are if somebody's sitting there saying, you know what? Look, I'm with you. I understand the fiat currency is backed by nothing. It's imaginary. I trust you. Just take care of me. I'll take care of you. It's fine. Wink, wink. What is the alternative to protect ourselves from this constant hyperinflation taking place, what are some of the alternatives? I know you're going to say a uh, uh, Bitcoin, but what else are some other ways somebody that's also with, uh, uh, has the same fears of fiat currency, what are some things they can do? Look, people are comfortable with gold to some degree, gold and silver. Then gold's made new all-time highs against every currency in the world, just about, except the dollar. So, you know, it's made huge moves. In, the, you know, in these countries that are being, that are collapsing. The you know, fiat money is collapsing in a lot of countries right now. Uh, silver obviously is, you know, in the same boat as, as gold. It's, it's a uh, store of wealth. And um, you have uh, Bitcoin. The thing about some of these other traditional store of, of, of value or store of wealth, it's going to be a problem, like property, for example. Property, I would imagine, you're going to start seeing property taxes you know, skyrocket because all these government giveaways, they got to pay for it somehow. So we know taxes are going to go a lot higher and property taxes are going to go a lot higher. So I think property is a bit of a, you know, problem. In the stock market, it's, you know, it's kind of interesting in that they're the, the that those, those companies that are really software based, um, where the scaling of those enterprises is just a matter of adding a server and you add another 5 million customers or what have you. I mean, that, that is going to still be an interesting model. So Square uh, is, is mm -hmm. interesting. I mentioned uh, 
the, um, you know, I, I mean, not, not to get, I'm not making a recommendation here. Okay. I'm not giving a financial advice. Uh, but a company like, uh, DocuSign, which is just, you know, the DocuSign. digital, yeah, the digital signing of documents we over them. the, we use them. We, we pay them a lot yeah. of money every month. Yeah, exactly. Okay. They are a public company and they're growing like a week. And as everyone is kind of, uh, camped out in their home, you know, sheltered or whatever, uh, business goes on and you got to sign, you got to sign deals. And if you yeah. can't, and you don't go to the office to sign a deal, you do it on DocuSign. Yeah. So that, that business is moving up. Uh, companies like Shopify, which enables people to set up shop on Amazon. That's doing very well. Um, a company like, um, Elastic, which is the AI that a layer that runs under a lot of these software apps on the, on the web is a tremendous business. It's a very, it's kind of a new business. You know, these are kind of new businesses. And again, I'm not giving financial advice and I'm, I'm not, I'm not recommending these. I'm simply pointing out instances where even in a collapse of fiat money uh, and a collapse of the economy, you could see still some growth in these types of relatively frictionless businesses again with your business you know not to not to be uh, you know pick on patrick uh, bet david today but uh, you know you've got a lot of people that got to go out there and talk to other people right you know that's that the scaling of that business is different than a software business where you just plug in a server and now you've got another million users right it's a, it is you're true. on it's an asymmetric battle you know you're I battling. will tell you this though for us it's so amazing what this pandemic did 90 percent of our sales were face-to-face max 90 percent pre Pandemic was face-to-face. During the pandemic last month, we sold 10,968 insurance policies. And I'm not talking about term or final expense. I'm talking real-life insurance policies. It was the biggest month we ever had by 4,000 policies. And it was 90% done through Zoom. So it completely changed the game for us as a company, as an industry. Let, let me ask you a technical. Well, that's great. You know, that, actually, that could be an interesting point, right? Because people are maybe hesitant about having a face-to-face meeting, but would do a Zoom call. So that By the way, we were not expecting this. Our investors yeah. were thinking we're going to lose 40%. They flat out told us, say, we're thinking you're going to lose 40%. I'm like, okay, let us see what we're going to be doing. And we made some adjustments. You know, for, for somebody like myself, I'm, okay, I'm talking to a lot of different people on the Bitcoin side and the cryptocurrency side. I keep hearing blockchain. Everybody knows blockchain. Everybody keeps hearing about blockchain. But then you're hearing about Oracle, then you're hearing about Chainlink, right? You keep hearing these three different words. Can you break down how they all uh, uh, work together and why it's important to start paying attention to Chainlink with people saying that we're going to get to a point where, you know, there's going to be technology linked to your car that's going to feed data to say how many speeding tickets you get, how fast you're driving, and that data can be used. What do those three things have to do with our everyday lives that we live in? Why should we know about it? All right. So you remember during when the internet broke in the mid nineties and there was concern that it was too decentralized or it wasn't appropriate for corporations. So they developed the, the internet, um, the intranet, yep. right? So companies would have their individual company wide internet and they call it an intranet. And that's like blockchain. Essentially anyone can start a blockchain. And it's, it's a way to, it's, a, it's software, and it's a way to, um, um, you know, uh, manage data. And, but it's not, it has nothing to do with Bitcoin. Bitcoin uses uh, a blockchain in the protocol, but um, in a decentralized way, using a proof-of-work algorithm that is unique and separate to Bitcoin. Anyone can use a blockchain. So if you're talking about, let's say, blockchain as a business tool, well, you know, there are a number of businesses that rely on logistics and rely on them heavily. Obviously, like a FedEx or a UPS or Amazon, the synchronization of their supply chains can be improved with a blockchain because, you know, blockchain would give you greater visibility into the synchronization of your supply chain and do so using software in a relatively efficient, cost-effective way. Uh, and um, going forward, it's going to be obvious to more and more industries that using that type of technology is going to be beneficial. You know, that kind of triggers another thought here, which is that the history of commerce in America, in a lot of ways, if you think about how software has transformed every industry in the world, 
mm-hmm. over the past 30 years, right? No, every, you know, the airline industry is really a software business. The car industry is really a software business. Every industry is, is reliant on software really today. That's where they get their margins, right? They don't get their margins out of stamping metal and sticking it together and selling a car. Really, the margins are in the ability to synchronize and distribute supply chains. And there's a, some efficiencies over that. And then that's how they kind of get their, their, their margins. So the only industry really, or the only aspect of the, uh, of our, of our business world going back a hundred years or more, the only, the last thing, the last man standing was really money itself. You know, money had been kind of the same for more than a hundred years. You know, you go to the central bank, you stick in a bunch of cotton and, ink and you print up some paper or the central bank digitally will, you know, they'll create digital money as, as they do. Uh, that's a relatively modern thing, but it, it had not undergone the transformation that software has transformed in every other industry, every other aspect of modern life until Bitcoin. So Bitcoin uh, essentially is that wave of software transformation that hit everything else. Uh, you know, money itself was kind of the last thing. And now, uh, now it's been conquered. The money has now been, been conquered, essentially. It's now gone to, to Bitcoin, is now, is now money. So uh, that's, that's kind of uh, another way to see how, what's happening historically and what, how it fits in to commerce. And uh, I think also going forward, you have, um, you're going to see a lot more micropayments involved in, in, the, in the economy. So instead of subscribing to a, a content where you're paying $80 or $90 a year for that content. You'll be yep. paying, uh, you know, a fraction of a penny per article that you read, et cetera. And the, by far the easiest way to do that or the cheapest way would be Bitcoin. I think Twitter is going to start allowing people to tip other people on Twitter using Bitcoin. So if you like a tweet of mine, you can, you can give me uh, one one hundredth millionth of a Bitcoin, which is called a Satoshi. Uh, there and you can tip me in this way, and you can, this is done because of the efficiencies, the cost efficiencies of basically uh, software as money. Uh, so that that'll be a big change, uh, and so that that's where I think we're, we're and I think COVID nineteen and the lockdown and all the changes that we're seeing are just accelerating that that um, that change. You know, you, uh, it's really fascinating what you said about Zoom and your business because. Um, you know, all those people are now completely literate when it comes to using video software on their phone and, right. and using apps on their phone. And now they're going to go over to Robinhood app and they're going to start using Bitcoin. But <laughs> you know, people on Robinhood, well, anyway, I don't want to get ahead of myself. So anyway, go ahead. So that, that's my answer. Yeah. Uh, so again, just like you said, a crypt, you know, uh, uh, Bitcoin became an accidental money. Uh, I call yeah. it an accident, accidental uh, currency. We accidentally became virtual doing everything on Zoom. By the way, any thoughts on the Bill Gates patent patent on the cryptocurrency chip that he's working on? Do you have any feedback or thoughts on that or opinion on that? Well, it's again, you know, it'd be centralized, right? It's only valuable to Microsoft if they centralize it. Therefore, it's not competition to Bitcoin, you know, because any, anything that's centralized would, would, wouldn't be competition. Um, you know, he's trying, he, he's... As I understand that patent, and it's kind of interesting because I own a patent, as I told you, on the virtual specialist technology, which uh, is used in hundreds and hundreds of instances, primarily by banks to trade derivatives, because derivatives are virtual securities. And so my patent gives them a way to trade virtual securities with a digital currency. Uh, So that was sold to Cantor Fitzgerald in 2001, and then they licensed it out to uh, banks around the world. To uh, and this the backbone of really the global derivatives industry, which is a uh, an interesting market trading phantom securities, but that's another discussion. But uh, you know, with Bill Gates, as I understand it, he's he's the patent allows for energy collected from the human body mm-hmm. to mine Bitcoin, essentially from using your own body's energy as an energy source or mining a cryptocurrency, I should say, and. Um, so that is an interesting philosophical question because it would mean that individuals would be not only self-sovereign, but they would be able to become economically sovereign simply by the conversion of the neurological activity in their brains 
which would have some current, some electrical value into a currency of some type. I think that's kind of what the patent says. So that, that to the would, average man, that sounds crazy, by the way, Max. I mean, you, do, you know, that, that sounds insanity. Well, that's what, that's what the, the patent, is, yeah. that's what, as I read the patent. But I mean, yeah. the, the whole idea of patents is that you're trying to, you know, I, mo, 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 most patents don't really get realized, right? I mean, so people come up with lots of different ideas. When I created the uh, virtual specialist patent, nobody thought that virtual currencies and virtual securities, that nobody thought that was a good idea. Now, uh, you can't imagine a world without them. It, it, by the way, any any feedback on the stable coin, the whole, uh, you know, Tether being the first stable coin, uh, you know, uh, it, what are your thoughts on that? It's a tool used in the industry to shuttle value around. It's just like a money market, essentially. And, you know, the, it's just a part of the suite yeah. of stuff that goes on. It's not I'll in, in, under because, itself. I only ask because you see sometimes when they print more, a bunch of teether, you see uh, Bitcoin going up and you, you, you know, you're kind of seeing those two go together. Uh, uh, is, is there any uh, effects, cause and effect that we should know about the two? The, with Tether, uh, you, you know, there is uh, a lot of um, kind of um, con supply of, of demand. They create a lot of demand, let's say, with Tether. But that the, the demand is coming from many different sources. And on any given day, you could point to any different one of these things as being the primary demand. Um, I think right now the biggest demand for Bitcoin is coming probably from Barry Silbert over there at um, his company in New York City, um, which is he, he has a kind of an ETF that he trades grayscale. It's uh, GBTC is the symbol. And, um, he, uh, I think he's buying up, depending on how you do the analysis, between a half and 100% of all new Bitcoin coming into existence. He's buying them outright for his clients. So his institutional demand for Bitcoin is huge. So he's a huge driver right now uh, of Bitcoin. I would, I think, I think Paul Tudor Jones and the hedge fund community is going to emerge as, I think at this time next year, Paul Tudor Jones will be kind of like the king of Bitcoin. I think he'll have the more Bitcoin. Coin than the Winklevoss twins. They'll have more Bitcoin than anybody. Uh, real quick series of questions here. Who who'll collapse first, U.S. or China? <laughs> or, or neither? They'll be co-terminus. Co-terminus. Okay. 30 seconds. Max, who were you in high school? If I was in high school with you, 16 years old, who was Max? I had my own TV show in high school. I was doing the exact same thing. I have our, our TV, our high school had a closed circuit television network and I had my own TV show in high school. I'm exactly the same person. Same person as you were at 16. Exactly. Will yes. we ever have a third party president? Will we have a libertarian or independent president anytime soon? Uh, I think the U.S. government will collapse first before we have any uh, third party uh, candidate. How soon is the collapse, by the way, your opinion? It's tied to the U.S. dollar and the U.S. dollar is toast. And that's being played out right now. How are you processing everything that's going on right now with defunding the police, the rights, the protesting, the media, all that division that's taking place today in the U.S.? It comes back to having values, having strong values. You know, and I take a lot of uh, strength from reading the classics, you know, going back to Aristotle, Plato, Socrates, and reading uh, classics because it's all been, it's not new. History repeats itself and hem empires come and go. And, um, you know, this is the, the, the ancients have the wisdom and you go back to the, the, their wisdom and it, you know, it becomes my wisdom and you have to be circumspect and take a step back and have faith that the universe will provide, right? The universe will provide. Uh, I don't need to meddle with the universe. The universe will, will carry on. I just need to listen and, and be part of it and, uh, and, and know that it's uh, going to work. All good. Speed run. I'll give you a name. Tell me uh, one word that comes to mind. I'll give you a word. Tell me. I'll give you a name. Tell me one word that comes to mind. Satoshi Nakamoto. Anonymous. John McAfee. Fraud. Ron Paul. Sincere. Peter Schiff. Misguided. Donald Trump. N uh, disco. What was that? Disco. Okay. Uh, Jamie Dimon. Uh, a sociopath. Putin. Uh, statesman. Really? Okay. Jack Dorsey. 
Visionary. Zuckerberg. Rich. <laughs> he is. David Solomon. From Solomon Brothers? Yeah. No, 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 I have no, no, no response. Open. Okay. Buffett. Overrated. Nassim Taleb. Irascible. Ray Dalio. Overrated. Bernie Extremely Sanders. overrated. <laughs> overrated. Okay. Bernie Sanders. Maple syrup. Michael Burry. Uh, from? From Big Short. Oh. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, not, okay. not, not interesting. Okay. Jerome Powell. Quantitative knucklehead. Steve Mnuchin. Smooth operator. And last but not least, Jared Kushner. Uh, lucky duck. Lucky duck. Huh? Lucky duck. Max, it's been a pleasure having you on Valuetainment. Where can people find you? Just pray and I appear. You pray and you appear with your Bitcoin and your gold. <laughs> I love that. Max, once again, thank you so much for being a guest on Valuetainment. Oh, my pleasure. Hope to do it again sometime. See you, Patrick. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And by the way, if you haven't already subscribed to Valuetainment on iTunes, please do so. Give us a five-star. Write a review if you haven't already. And if you have any questions for me that you may have, you can always find me on Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. Just search my name, Patrick Bidavid. And I actually do respond back when you snap me or send me a message on Instagram. With that being said, have a great day today. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.